particular father won a, a toy at a raffle. And being a good father, he wanted to find out which of the five children he should give uh, the toy to. And so he thought, well, I'll call all my kids together and I'll ask them a couple questions about their mom. And so he gathered all the kids together and he said, I've got this beautiful uh, toy that I won in a raffle and I just need to find out from you who is most deserving of it. Who's the most obedient, he asked. It was quiet. Who never talks back to mom? Who does everything she says? In unison, all small voices said, Okay, Dad, you get the toy. (laughs) There was a little boy that was asked, What's the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day? And he thought a little bit and he said, Well, there's no difference really between Mother's Day and Father's Day except for one thing. We spend more money on Mother's Day than we do on Father's Day. And I told that to April, and she got pretty irritated with me. <clears throat> because um, we try to do stuff as equal as we can. Um, and um, one of the things that April always does is she always uh, fixes a, a beautiful meal for after church. And uh, we just have a great time as a family sitting around with sometimes just our family but a lot of times we like to get other families involved and bring them and, and just enjoy that time. And so, so she goes through and, and um, spends extra energy in that. And so there, there's really not much difference, is there? Now, in a little boy's eyes, there might be a difference, and it's that we spend a little more money on mom than we do on dad. But the reality is, dad, most of you guys came in the same blue jeans and same shirt you've been wearing for a long time, and that's okay because you're guys. If a lady did that, on Mother's Day, that would kind of be weird. She needs a new dress, right? And uh, down south, they all wear these corsages, you know, these little roses or whatever, and sometimes they're orchids around her, and the women all get around, and they yak, 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 yak. <clears throat> but that would be really weird if we as men did that. Um, it's not because fathers aren't important as mothers. It's just that uh, we have a different role to play, right, guys? We, there's a different role we play. Fathers play a role in a family that mothers can't. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and, and uh, that's the way God set it up. Fathers, you're supposed to be the leader, the head of the household. But the sad fact is that many, many men have, for one reason or another, decided not to be the leader of the home, the leader of the family. They either give up their responsibility to their wife, they abdicate it, or they run away and mother faces is faced with the necessity and responsibility of leading the family. That's not what God intended for the family. It's not the way He wants families to operate. God, God's intention right from the Garden of Eden was that a father was to play a key role in the family unit. Without the father in the mix, the family unit comes apart. The father is super important. So dads, you're very, very important. Don't ever think that you're not important in the family. I want to share with you a couple statistics, and I hope I don't bore, bore you with them, that I came across this, this week about how important you are as a father. Did you know that 90% of homeless runaway children are from fatherless homes? 80% of rapists 
are motivated with displaced anger that comes from a fatherless home. 71% of pregnant teens lack a father in their home. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions have no father. 85% of youth in prison grew up in a home without a father. Fatherless boys and girls are two times more likely to drop out of school and twice as likely to end up in jail and four times more likely to need help for emotional and behavioral problems. Do you see the importance of a father? In all of our families, fathers, you're important. To all you dads here today, you're very, very important to the family structure. We need you to understand that the family will not survive unless you stick in there and you take your position and your place as a father and a leader of your family. The fact is is that uh, every day we, we turn on the news and we read the newspaper or we go to the Internet and we hear about wars overseas, foreign wars. We hear about uh, wars on drugs and wars on weapons and and there's a virtual war that's happening in Washington, D.C. between two political parties. But there's a more important war that's taking place in our country. The fact is that there's a war going on in our nation for the survival of the family unit. Men, it's time for us to wake up and see the mess that we're in because our country is in a mess because too many men have abdicated their positions as fathers and spiritual leaders in our households. Our children and their future is what is, stake, is what is at stake today. God said that dads, you're the glue that holds the families together. And all throughout the Bible, <clears throat> we, see, we see commands about the family. And they always start with what? They start with the father. As a father, we have to consciously make decisions to follow God's God and all of his instructions we received from him through his word when it comes to our family. Our passage this morning comes from a man who decided that he and his household would follow God. It comes from a man that I'm sure all of you guys are familiar with, from the warrior Joshua. You remember him, right? He and Caleb were along with 12 others who went in to spy out the land. And after they had gone throughout the land, they came back to give a report. And Joshua and Caleb said the land was filled with milk and honey and that God had given it to them. And the ten others said, No, there's giants in the land. We can't go. And we know what happened. The people believed the ten and they didn't trust the two. The two who were... God-fearing, God-encountering men who knew who their God was. That's who Joshua was. 
Joshua is a mighty warrior. And so we pick up the scripture today as we look at it from Joshua. And uh, this is shortly after after Moses has died and Joshua had been given uh, been given a, uh, the the leadership position. Um, he was uh, the one that led the children out of the wilderness into the promised land. Under Joshua's leadership, uh, we see that there are some amazing things that happen. Uh, the people saw the story that all of us learned, if those of us who went to Sunday school, about the wall of Jericho. You remember the wall of Jericho? They marched around that wall six days. And then on the seventh day, they watched, marched around the wall seven times, and the trumpets blasted, and then everybody screamed with praise to Jehovah, and the walls came tumbling down. That's a manifest presence of Jesus Christ. That's a manifest presence of the encounter of God. And Joshua was the kind of man that when God spoke to him, he followed God's word to a T. He knew the manifest presence of Jesus Christ in his life. He spoke and he walked with God on a regular basis. And our passage comes from the end of Joshua's time of leading the people. The battles of the land had already been won. They were in the promised land. And for the most part, things were at peace. But Joshua knew that in this new land they had just possessed, there are a lot of alluring aspects about it. Things that would draw their attention away from Jehovah, their God. And he was calling to his people to make a decision that day. He tells the men that they have to face a decision. And so, as we read today out of Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, this is what he says to to the people. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my household or my family, we will serve the Lord. So you see, Joshua was making a choice. He was making a choice to raise his family in the service of the Lord. He was choosing to raise his family by the standards and the knowledge of God. Joshua says, but as for me and my family, not talking about anybody else's family, he's taking responsibility for his own family, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So the first thing we as fathers have to do is to Make a decision to choose to raise our families in the way God intended us to raise them. This is where it all begins, and this is where it all ends. Fathers, we must choose to follow God and to lead our families and our households to serve God. As Joshua said, then choose today who you will serve. When we choose to lead our families in God and God's way, then we look to his word for instruction on how to do what we're supposed to do and what's supposed to be next. God says in order to be a good father, we must first be a good husband. And we find instructions in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28 on what it means to be a good husband. 
Let me read for us. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for himself. We're godly fathers when we begin to be godly husbands. Men, your children are watching how you treat your wife, how you treat their mother. Our children learn how to love by watching how we love. If they see you disrespecting your wife and their their mother, your sons will carry that into their marriages. If you verbally, mentally, and physically abuse your wife and the mother of your children, then guess what? Your daughters will accept that in their marriage. But if you if they see you love and respect their mother, then guess what the sons will do? The sons will learn how to be a good husband and father himself and how to respect and love his wife. If we honor our wives, then our daughters will never be satisfied with the man who dishonors her because she's always looking for a man like her father. If we cherish our children's mother as a valuable part of not only our life, but of our children's life, then they'll they in turn will carry that example on throughout the rest of their lives. Father, we're, fathers, we're called to be like Christ in every respect to our wives. God loved the church. He loved the church so much that guess what he did? He laid down his life for, for us. And the scripture there in Ephesians is very clear. It says in the same way we need to place our wives in that situation where we love them so much that we will take care of all of their needs, all of their wants, and all of their desires in line with God's glory and in line with, with what Christ would have. And what Christ did is he gave us the example. He laid down his life for us. And so, men, it's not about us. It's about our wives and about our families. This is the way for you and your family to serve God. In order for us as families to serve The Lord, fathers, you need to teach your children about God and who he is to you and to them. We find this in Deuteronomy. There's clearly written in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is what we read. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them around your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. And write them on the posts of your house and on your gates. It's our responsibilities, dads, to teach our children about God. 
We need to repeat and teach over and over and over again the things that we know and understand from God's Word to our children. We need to talk about God when we're at home. We need to talk with them when we're out and about hunting and fishing and doing our regular tasks. We need to call attention to see that's what God does and and see that reminds me about who God is. We need to talk to talk with them when we're when we're in the house and when we're putting them to bed. And when we wake them up, we need to talk to them about God. And we need to constantly remind them of who God is. You see, the Jewish people took it literally. They would wrap their forearms and their wrists representing the Torah which with, with, with uh, ribbons which had the Torah written on it and representing the Torah of God uh, to Moses. They would wear a small box that was attached to a cord that they wrapped around their forehead with a piece of the Torah written inside it. I remember as a little boy going through an airport coming back from Indonesia with my parents and we were going through the Middle East and there were a group of Hasidic Jews and they had it wrapped around their arms and they had it a box on their head and I remember looking at it and I said, Dad, what in the world are they doing? And he said, oh, let me tell you what that is. And then he explained the verse that was in Deuteronomy. And he said, son, they're taking it literally. But for us, it's what God wants us to do and place it into our hearts. And he wants us to live that out daily. Faith is not something that we bring to church on Sunday and then we put it in the closet the rest of the week. Next Sunday we pick it up and bring it back and take it to church again. That's not what faith is about. That's not what teaching our children is about. Your faith needs to be really who you are. And your children learn that God that they see is the God that they worship because it's the God that they see you practicing and worshiping to. As parents, we're responsible to teach our children about God. Dad, it's your responsibility to teach your children about God. Don't leave it up to mom and don't leave it up to the church. And for Pete's sake, don't think when they go to the public school that it's the public school's responsibility and that we got off track because prayer is no longer in the public school. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, teach, send your school, children to public school and they will learn about me. It doesn't say anything like that. But it says that we as fathers are responsible to teach our children. It's our responsibility, men. Not only do we teach them with words, but we also teach them with actions. I know we all know the saying, and I've heard it many times probably, and some of us may even be guilty of using it. Don't do what I say. Don't, don't do as I do. Do as I say. You ever heard that? I thought it in my mind and I knew it was wrong. I wanted my kids to do one thing, but I was doing something totally opposed to what I wanted them to do. And I'm like, that's totally confusing to them. The sad thing is that this is the way many of us as dads are teaching our children. Fathers, we are to be role models to our children and our grandchildren. God wants us to act and live our lives out before them. Our children are watching us. They're watching us every single day.
Dads, fathers, your children are watching you. They see what you do. They know what's important to you because they see what's important to you. It's important for you to be in God's house each week. It's important that your children see you reading His Word every day. It's important that your children see you praying and that you pray with your children. Our children are watching. Our grandchildren are watching. And they're imitating us. I remember uh, early on when our little, my, my son David, um, I would be out washing the car. And the next thing I knew, David had picked up a rag and he was watching me. And as I was washing the car, he was over here on a wheel washing the wheel. And I thought, oh, that's so cute. But I didn't realize that God was saying to me at that day, your son is watching. Your son is watching. And then when we adopted Sam, I was working on the car again. I have a picture of it. And... uh I'm washing the car, and Sam's watching me, and he's washing just like I am. My sons were watching me, and I didn't realize what was going on. And unfortunately, some of the things that I did didn't set good examples with my children. They needed to see me spending more time reading God's Word. They needed me to tell them more about who God was and to show them who His love is. Let's let our children and our grandchildren see us studying His Word. Let's be open and honest with them and tell them that we have a hunger to know the manifest presence of Jesus Christ. Let's not hide it. Let's not be ashamed of who we are and what Christ has done for us. Let's be the fathers that God has called us to be. Is it more important to make the ball game or go fishing or hunting or go on a hunting trip? Guys, there are tons of things that attract, that cause our attraction. And I'm not saying that the ball game is bad and I'm not saying fishing and hunting are bad. I'm saying bring your kids along, but But when they interfere with an opportunity to teach them who God is, there might be a problem there. I raised four children, and they're all up and gone. And I wished I could go back and change some of the decisions I made. I would do things differently. I sometimes had my priorities out of whack. I was doing things for me and myself. And I wasn't remembering that my children were watching Dad wash the car. Being a dad, being a father is hard. And believe me, I understand it. It's the most important thing we can do. Nothing matters more in life than your relationship with God and your family. And when you learn to live a life in Christ, then you will choose your family like Joshua did.
Joshua started off and he ends today with us. And my challenge to you and my hope and my prayer for all of us is that the voice of Joshua rings in our ears and it says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You don't have to do it on your own. God is here. God is present with you. He's omnipresent. But He wants to manifest Himself in your life. And He wants to strengthen you and show you how to be the Father that He wants you to be. So that your children and their children and their children's children will follow God for all of their days. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, who you are. You are our Father. You're our loving Heavenly Father. You're our gracious Heavenly Father. You're our forgiving Heavenly Father. Your Word tells us that you're the lover of our souls. Your Word tells us that, Father, even though our earthly fathers abandoned us, you say that you, our Heavenly Father, will never abandon us. That you will always be there. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And so this morning we say, Father, Dad, you have been so good to us. And we love you. And we need you by your Spirit to help us, to teach us as fathers and dads and grandfathers how to be the example that you are to us in heaven, to be that example to our children here on earth. We need you, Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your manifest presence. As we read your word, as we teach your word, and as we live your word out, we need you. Father in heaven, empower every man in this, in this congregation to lead their families.